Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. on the way out, stop by the Hope Hub, and there are little black boxes you can drop an offering into. All right. How many of you are ready for the word this morning? Amen. It's going to be good. Why don't you get your Bibles out or your devices? I'm still kind of old school. Even though I preach with an iPad, I still like when I'm reading scripture or when I'm being taught, I still like to turn into the pages of scripture. I don't know why. It's just something that brings me comfort, I guess. But I'm going to finish up a series that I started at the beginning of this month. By the way, we missed not seeing you all last week. Man, not having church for snow stinks. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I hated it. But um, glad everybody stayed safe and we're glad to see you this morning. I started a series at the beginning of January that I titled Saved to Serve. Saved to Serve. And... This will be the third part of that series, and it'll be the conclusion of that series, and and my hope is that it, you know, springboards us into what God wants to speak to us next week at Vision Sunday. But let me do just a moment of review, if I could, with you, just to make sure that everybody's caught up and on the same page. At the beginning of the series, we discussed the current state of much of church culture, not just church culture, but culture in general, and and course, culture in general has a way of influencing church culture. But we started by talking about the current state of much of church culture, how we have unintentionally, I believe, created a culture where church is a spectator sport, where you can come and just kind of observe from a distance. And we said that while the church does exist to serve the needs of people, that's a very important thing. We cannot afford to take that to an extreme where the people of God are never empowered to respond to the calling that he has given to them in their lives. We have to create an environment where people can respond to the gifts that God has placed in them and the callings that he has given to their life. The reality is we have a part to play in God's kingdom. I said this in the first week, there's no sidelines in the kingdom of God. You're not just on the sidelines, right? You know, you can be like a third-string punter, and your team can win the Super Bowl, and you can never touch the field. But you still get a ring, right? That doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. There are no sidelines. God's called all of us to be involved in what he's doing in the earth. So we said, we started the series by saying that we have been set apart rather than set aside. Some people feel like their lives just get set aside, like China in a China cabinet. Nobody cares about the China. But the reality is the China in the China cabinet has not been set aside. It's been set apart because when Christmas dinner rolls around, that China comes out and its purpose is revealed. You've been set apart as holy unto the Lord. God sanctifies us when we, when we say yes to Jesus and he, he begins to prune us and shape us. And, and as we consecrate and give and develop, or excuse me, devote our lives to Jesus, he begins to set us apart for the thing that he created us for. What's the difference between being set apart and set aside? It's real simple, purpose. 
God's purpose is alive in your life, whether you know it or not. And God's looking for those who have a heart to serve rather than be recognized. The second part of the series was when we talked about Jesus handing out towels, not titles. That he, that, that he the king of the universe, the everlasting God, got down on his hands and knees to wash the feet of his disciples. Even the one that would betray him, Jesus washed his feet. While men are, uh, and women, are, our flesh is hungry for recognition. Jesus is not handing out titles. He's handing out towels. And if you and like, are, are like me and you want to be like Jesus, I want to have a towel in my hand. Lord, put me in a place where I can serve your body. I gave you this quote that I heard, which I thought was so good, from Dan Cathy, the head of Chick-fil-A. He says, there are only two positions at Chick-fil-A. You're either serving chicken or you're serving someone who's serving chicken. And the point's really clear. There's only a couple titles in the room, but all of the job descriptions are service. We're either serving Jesus or we're serving somebody who's serving Jesus. Amen. And I think if we can remember that stuff, it'll keep us in a place where we don't get inflated with our ego. It'll keep our hearts and attitudes in check so that we can continue to be a part of what God's doing in his kingdom. Amen. Isn't that good? Well, this morning, I want to conclude the series by talking to you about being a hope dealer. I'm going to ask you to turn to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. Bet you didn't think I was going to Lamentations this morning. <laughs> Lamentations chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 19 down through verse 24. I'm reading to you from the New, New International Version this morning, NIV. Lamentations 3, 19 through 24, and it says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Sounds like Lamentations, all right. I remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Glory to God. Boy, we turned a corner in that passage, didn't we? Amen. Can I pray over you as we receive the word? Let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you this morning that the words of the Psalms are true, that the entrance of your word brings light, that your word brings to our hearts the revelation of what you want to say to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to communicate with us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hearts to perceive and understand your word and your will. We declare this morning that we are growing in the things of God, that your word is becoming more and more real to us every day. So God, help us this morning to get out of our own way so that we can receive all that you want to say to us. In Jesus' mighty name, if you believe it, say amen. Amen. I, um, I grew up, I was born in New York. Some of you know where I come from and what my story is, but I was born in, in this, the great state of New York, and, and when I was a, a young man, a, a young teenager, 
uh, we moved, we left New York. In fact, when I was about 11 years old, we started, my family started traveling to Florida for vacations every year. And we did that for a few years, and then we just said, the heck with it, let's move here. And so, uh, so we moved to Florida, and um, we grew up in a place called Sarasota, which is on the, the west coast of Florida, on the Gulf of Mexico, and it is such a special place. If you've never been there, you should go. But there's this magical island in, um, in, in Sarasota called Lido Key, and uh, Lido Key is a wonderful place. It's a very beautiful island, and there's a beautiful beach on it. And, and on this island called Lido Key, there's an even more magical place called St. Armand's Circle. Uh, how many, my Sarasota people, how many, raise your hands. Yes, glory to God for St. Armand's Circle. Um, imagine if you could take downtown Blowing Rock, make it about three times bigger, put it on an island in the Gulf of Mexico, Make it a big circular road and add a bunch of palm trees. And that's kind of what, what St. Armand's Circle is. It's, a, it's all these boutique shops and restaurants and stuff. And, and I remember being there as an 11-year-old for the first time. I was my daughter Abigail's age at the time. And we went down to St. Armand's Circle, and we went to Kilwins to get some ice cream. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I could smell the waffle cones being made right now if I think hard enough. And, and we went down to Kilwins, and, and next door to Kilwins, there's a restaurant called Tommy Bahamas. And I remember being there as an 11-year-old, and, and the thing about it that was so wild to me was we got down to Kilwins, we got in, in there to get our ice cream, we came out and parked right in front of Kilwins, in between Kilwins and Tommy Bahamas, was a yellow Lamborghini Diablo. And the 11-year-old me just went, oh my God. This is heaven on earth. This is the greatest place. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but I think he lives here now. Like, holy smokes, what is this place? And I remember we, we would frequent Kilwins uh, as, as when we ultimately moved there. And me and my friends would go down to St. Armand's all the time. We would have fun. This restaurant that was there on the corner called Tommy Bahamas has a sign out in front of it. And the signs got their tagline on it, their slogan of their company. And for some reason, their slogan stuck out to me, and I just never forgot it. Their slogan for the Tommy Bahama restaurant is purveyors of island lifestyles. It's an odd thing for a restaurant to say, but it's what they say, purveyors of island lifestyles. To me, that sounds pretty awesome. I've been told that I have bougie taste, but whatever. I can remember that slogan, and I can remember taking particular notice of it, and it wasn't until years later that I actually stopped to figure out what the word purveyors actually means. But let me read to you the definition of the word purveyor. A purveyor is a person who sells or deals in particular goods. It also is used to describe a person or a group that spreads or promotes an idea or a view. I'm going to read it to you again. I want you to pay particular attention to the wording. A purveyor is a person who deals or sells in particular goods. It can also describe a person or a group that spreads or promotes an idea or view. As a representation of Jesus and of his church in the world, we have been called to be purveyors of the gospel. 
We have been called to be purveyors of the truth of God's word. We have been called to be purveyors of the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness of our God. As the body of Christ in Jesus in this world, we are called to be purveyors of hope. You, my friend, this morning where you sit are called to be a dealer in hope. A hope dealer, if you will. Our life's mission ought to be a people that spreads and promotes not just the idea of hope, but actually having the substance from the nature of God that's been put on the inside to, 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 to hand out, to serve up, and to just share the hope of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the hope of the world. And the church being mobilized is also the hope of the world. Amen. We, we can't afford to sit on our blessed assurance. Some of you will understand the joke that is hidden in that line. We can't sit on our blessed assurance just hoping that one of these days God's going to come and Jesus is going to return and check us out and we get to go to the, you know, the heavenly hotel in the sky and get out of here. But in the meantime, we're just going to wait and twiddle our thumbs and just be about us. Us four no more. No, can't afford to do that. We've been called to be dealers in hope this morning. Now let me show this to you from Scripture. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to show you this mandate a little bit if I can. Boy, I feel like preaching. Been out of the pulpit for two Sundays now. Good Lord. It's no fun canceling church. It's like fire shut up in my bones. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh man, this is, oh, this is such a good verse. It's a, whole, it's a great passage. If, if, if I had time, I'd start you back in like verse 16 and build up to this verse, but I don't have time today to do all of that. But, but go read it for yourself. Read about how you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, man. Read about how the old has passed away and the new has come. Read about how God has now taken his very spirit and made it resident on the inside of you. And all these things are of God, the Bible says, who's reconciled us to himself. And committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Then we get to verse 20, which is what I want to read. It says, now then, or in other words, because of everything I just said, because you're a new creation, because the Spirit of God is living on the inside of you, now then, because of that, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God himself were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh my goodness. If you just understood the position that you occupy in Jesus, if you understood the position that you, that you right now, this moment, occupy in Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You've been made his beloved child. You have been welcomed into the family of Almighty God. God himself, maker of the universe, is your father. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is our elder brother. And we are part of the family of God this morning. Wow. 
I mean, I, I'm excited about being a, a dealer in hope, but I got to just stop for a second and just, just relish in the fact and in the reality that God has made me a part of his family, that he's made you a part of his family. You've got God DNA on the inside of you. That means you can live free from sin. That means you can live free from addiction. That means you can live free from strife. That means that no matter what your background was this morning that brought you to this place, that there's hope for you. Amen. He goes on to say, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. A large part of our calling from God is our assignment to be ambassadors of his kingdom, to be representatives of his kingdom in the earth. You see, sometimes we don't live with enough awareness of that assignment. Sometimes we think that it's about us only. And so we, we lose track and we lose sight of the re reality that I'm on assignment from God. I, I got to, I'm going to tell myself a little bit this morning. I, I bought my kids a PlayStation for Christmas. I, I bought it for my kids. And, um, and I bought the one that came with Call of Duty. Which, if you don't, if you know what Call of Duty is, it's a military game where you're in the, you know, you're in the special forces and you kick in doors and you shoot bad guys. And God, it was awesome. I beat it pretty quickly. I, I, I spent more time than I should in the first week of this year playing Call of Duty. But here's why I tell you that: because in the game, Call of Duty you're given an objective, you're on a mission. And, and at any time, you can hit a button and review your objectives. At any, at any time in that game, you can stop and say, wait, what am I doing? Where, which direction am I supposed to be going? Oh yeah, here's the objective, here's the mission, there's the waypoint that I gotta get to, and there's a little compass on the screen that tells you whether or not you're going in the right direction. Can I tell you that in the game of life and in the battle that we've been put in, how many of you know we're in this world, but we're not of this world? And there's a, there's a war being raged around us, and you and I have been delegated responsibility in the kingdom of God to be ambassadors. We are on a mission. And in this, and in this battle that we are in, there's a waypoint. There's a place we need to get to. There's a mission that we have been delegated. And guess what? God, just like the game, God put his spirit on the inside of us, and we have a little compass telling us which way to go. Here's the next place you got to get to. Here's where you got to go. The Holy Spirit will lead you in you being an ambassador for Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. But see, we have a mission. We have a calling. We have an assignment. The soldiers in the military, they're keenly aware of their assignment. And sometimes I think we lose sight of our assignment to be an ambassador for God. What is an ambassador? Think about it. Think about it. When I traveled to another country, I was in Africa in October, in Kenya. When I traveled to another country, I want to know where the U.S. embassy is in that country. Because if anything should ever go wrong, I want to know, how far away am I going to be from the embassy? In the embassy of a foreign nation... There, there lives and resides an ambassador who is a representation of the country that he comes from. So if we were to go to Kenya, 
get on a plane and fly 17 hours to Kenya. We would land in Nairobi, and, and somewhere in Nairobi, there's a building that is the United States Embassy. And in that building, there lives a person whose job it is to represent America in Kenya. He's not, he's not bound to the same laws and rules of the country that he is in. He functions according to the country that he is from. He's an ambassador. He's here to do the will of the country that sent him. And Paul uses that language and that terminology to tell us and remind us this morning that we are in this world, but our home is not in this world. Our origin is not in this world. We are in this world as ambassadors, not from this world. It's our divine assignment. And Jesus modeled this perfectly. He showed up in this world and he brought the culture and the principles from where he came from here. It's true. Another way you could think about this is uh, if you were to go to a place that, has, that was settled by another country. Okay, if you, if you went down to like the Caribbean today. The Caribbean was colonized by England years and years and years ago. And so in the Caribbean, they have a lot of the customs that came from England. They drive on the wrong side of the road, they, right? They drink tea, not coffee. They have tea at certain times of the day. They speak English, but it's British English. Why? They're a reflection of the nation that has made an impact in their life. You and I are called to be God's ambassadors in the earth, bringing the realities of the kingdom we come from into the, into the environment that we live in. <laughs> we get to take part in this assignment because we have something to actually offer the hurts of humanity. You see, being an ambassador for God is about looking, just like Jesus did, looking and surveying. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 9 when the Bible says he saw the people and he saw that they were weary and scattered like a sheep with no shepherd and the Bible says his heart was moved with compassion for them. You see, that's a perfect representation of this assignment to be an ambassador. That's a perfect example. You and I are called to, to look into the community that we're a part of, to look into the world, to look around us and recognize the hurts of humanity and realize we actually have something we can do about that. We've actually been given, we've actually been given the tools necessary to see the people around us healed and saved and delivered and set free. We've been given the tools deposited on the inside of our hearts to see that neighbor or that family member or that, that co-worker who's hurting, who's struggling, who's, who feels left behind, whose life has just been ground down by the enemy into a powder. You have the ability right here, right now, to offer hope into that situation. And it's not a natural hope. It's not just giving them 20 bucks and saying, hey, I hope you have a good day. It's, hey, do you know Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Oh, there's joy for you. There's, there's peace for you. There's something on the other side of this struggle for you. His name's Jesus. Look at, look at, what, look at what it says in, in the first verse there. It says, I remember my affliction and my wandering. 
I remember my affliction and my wandering. How many people do you know right now that are wandering? Oh, man. You see, some folks, they go through, they go through challenging seasons in life. They have afflictions. And then some folks, they're just wandering. And then there's some folks that have afflictions and they're wandering. They're not just stumbling around. They're wounded and stumbling around. Guys, we can't walk past them. We can't be immune to them. We can't be indifferent towards them. We're on assignment from the head of the church. We've been given an assignment from the king of kings to deal in hope. When that coworker comes to you and they're broken and they're falling apart, you've got an answer. His name is Jesus Christ. So what is hope? Let me ask you this question because different people use words differently, but words matter, right? What is hope? Well, in the scriptures, hope always involves an expectation. The simplest definition that most preachers and theologians use to describe hope is the term earnest expectation, significant earnest expectation. Now, that's very different from how we often use the word hope, isn't it? A couple of weeks ago, my mom and I were having a conversation. I said, I hope the bills go all the way to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, the Kansas City Chiefs Brought an end to that dream again. <laughs> if only I actually cared about football. <laughs> we use the word hope oftentimes not as an expectation, but as a wish. Hope I win a million dollars. Hope I win the lottery. Hope my kids give me a hug when I get home. Just kidding. They do every time. I came, I came home the other day, and Sophia came running around the corner. She heard me come home. She goes, Dada! She came running around the corner and jumped into my arms. Oh, my God, it was the best thing ever. See, I hope my kids give me a hug when I come home. I expect them to. In the New Testament Greek, the definition is very, very powerful for the word hope. The following comes from Thayer's Greek lexicon for all my nerds out there. It says, much more frequent in the classics and always in the New Testament in a good sense. Hope is the expectation of good. And in a Christian sense, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Can I read that to you one more time? Much more frequent in the classics and always in the New Testament in a good sense. Hope is the expectation of good. And in the Christian sense, it is the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. In other words, hope always looks to the future with an expectation of good. In fact, hope, if you think about it, only refers to the future. Think about that for a second. Hope only refers to the future. It can't refer to the past. You can't hope for something that's already happened. So, so you've got to settle this in your heart for just a second because God, the Bible calls us to actually trust God for tomorrow, 
to actually have a hopeful expectation of his goodness coming to pass in my life, not just now, but in the future. So that when we, so that when we go through challenging times, we can actually stand up and say with boldness and confidence, tomorrow is going to be better than today because I serve a God who's really good. Amen? My life is going to matter. I'm not going to die before my time. I'm not going to become irrelevant. I'm not going to fail and fade and fall back into oblivion. No, the God that lives in me has a future and a destiny and a hope planned for my life, and I can have confident expectation of that reality. Mm. If you're going to have a future, you're going to be required to have a hope. Amen. Now, in the Old Testament, the word hope takes on a whole nother meaning. I mean, I just love the Bible. I just love the Bible. Because once I, you know, the, about the minute I think I really got something, God just peels another layer back and goes, gotcha. I love the word. In the Old Testament, here's how the Bible defines hope. It gets even more interesting. Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know that verse. It uses the word hope. Here's what it means in that verse. Hope means an expectation or something that you long for. But what's more interesting is the literal meaning of that Hebrew word is a cord or a rope. Isn't that weird? Seems odd. The same word is used in the book of Joshua when Rahab hides the spies in Jericho. Do you remember that scripture and that story? The spies come to Jericho and they find Rahab and she lets them hide out in her little apartment that's on the wall, the exterior wall of Jericho. And, and, and they, you know, in order to know where they're supposed to go, she said, I'm going to, to use a scarlet rope. I'm gonna hang a scarlet rope from my window. And that's how the spies get in and out of the city. It's the exact same word for hope that's used in Jeremiah 29, 11. Why is that significant? Because hope is a lifeline. It is a cord that you can hold on to. Hope will always be there when you need something to grab a hold of. I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've spent some time swimming around boats and sometimes when you're swimming either in the lake or in the ocean, it, it, you know, if, you're, if you get a little farther away from the boat, you might need somebody to throw you a, lo a rope and help you get back in. Because, hey, the tide's taking us in. The, the boat's getting far and farther away. I can't seem to swim fast enough to get back to where my feet are on stable ground. Somebody throw me a lifeline. Somebody give me some hope. Isn't that amazing? Not only is it a, a confident expectation of the goodness of God coming to pass, but it's a lifeline back to stable ground. I want to read you Lamentations 3 again, but I want to read it this time in the New Living Translation. It says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond my words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful 
love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. I love the language used here in the New Living Translation. Yet I still dare to hope. In a world that's upside down, backwards and inside out, you and I have been called to dare to hope. You and I have been called to be dealers in this hope. Not keeping it to ourselves, not hoarding it just for us, but dealing in hope. Oh, you need, you need an answer for the problem in your life? Let me talk to you about the word of God. Let me deal you some hope. Oh man, you're, you've come to the end of your rope. You're, 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 you're just struggling beyond all reason. Let me deal you. So let me introduce you to Jesus Christ and deal some hope into your life. You know what you need? You need a hope fix. Let me give you a little hope fix this morning so that you can face another day. Let me extend a line and pull you back in so that you're not drifting and wandering injured. Sometimes hope feels like a dare. Did you ever have that in school? You get dared to do something? I dare you. When I was a kid, we used to we used to throw snowballs at city buses. This is a terrible thing we used to do. But my, my buddy David and I, he lived one block over from me. This is when I was really young in, in New York. And we used to get ungodly amounts of snow. And so we, we figured out that the city metro buses that would drive by, they couldn't stop because they had somewhere to be. They are like on a route. They can't stop and chase us. And so we would, we would make tons and tons of snowballs, and we'd just wait for the city bus to come by. Every eight to ten minutes, another bus would come by, and we'd just unload. And then one day, my buddy Judah dared me to throw a snowball at a police car. And I did. Fortunately, I missed. Fortunately, he didn't realize it. And we lived to see another day. Did you ever have a dare moment in your life? Sometimes hope feels like a dare. Sometimes hope feels like the most ridiculous thing that you could ever possibly do. Sometimes it seems so unreasonable and so unrealistic and so uncomfortable to actually expect God's best. But I'm here to tell you, you can do it. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. Because his faithfulness endures forever. Because his mercies are new every morning. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here and as we close the service today, sometimes hope doesn't make sense to our mind because maybe it's the only thing in our life that seems positive. But you must still dare to hope. We need to commit to live a life of hope and also to deal in hope. Let me give you three thoughts as we close. 
Three little points. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Why is it that I can confidently deal hope in my life? Three reasons. Number one, Jesus is faithful. Lamentation says the faithful love of the Lord never ends. See, he's faithful. Even when you're not faithful, even when the situation doesn't seem faithful, even when you can't trust or put confidence in the things around you, you can always put confidence in and trust in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Number two, reason I can confidently be a hope dealer and deal hope to people is because he's merciful. How many of you this morning need the mercy of God? Amen, all of us. Okay, everybody that didn't raise your hands, we're gonna have an altar call right now so that you can get set free. No, I, I, I wanna raise both hands and both feet. I need the mercy of God in my life. Oh, I'm so thankful that he's a merciful God. I'm so thankful that he's not holding my sin against me. I'm so thankful that the blood of Jesus is available to me today because I need it, and so do you. I can be confident in my hope and in my expectation, number one, because he's faithful, number two, because he's merciful, number three, because he's my inheritance. Look at what the verse says. It says, his mercies begin afresh every morning, and I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. The old King James says, the Lord's my portion. Oh, he's my portion. Did you ever have a portion? Did you, ever, did, you, did you ever have to split something with somebody? And what do you get real concerned about your portion? We like to make Newman's Own pizzas at our house. My wife loves Newman's Own frozen pizza. I'm an Italian from New York. You don't know how this hurts my heart. But my family loves some Newman's Own pizza. And every time we make a Newman's Own pizza, we start figuring out portions. Because they ain't that big. I mean, they're about like this. But I, but I love this thought that God himself is my portion. You can do whatever you want with your portion, but Jesus is my portion. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be protective of that portion. I mean, I mean, when you got to split a pizza with somebody and you start thinking about your portion, you get kind of pr protective of it. You, 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 you kind of start to size up how the pieces were cut. That piece is slightly bigger than the one next to it. Oh, that's my portion. No, 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 no. You go somewhere else. You take your fingers and go somewhere else. That's my portion. That's my piece. Called it. What if, what if you and I got defensive of our portion of God? What if Jesus became our portion and he became something that we prized above all else? No, you can do what you want with your part of the pie, but this is my, my Jesus, he's my portion. You see, it's because of these reasons that we actually have something to give to people. Because the Lord is faithful, because he's merciful, and because he himself is our very portion, because of those reasons, we actually have something to give to people. We actually can be a hope dealer. You know, we... We made a, a, a declarative statement. I made a declarative statement in October when we celebrated our 10-year anniversary of the church. Some of you were here for that. 
And I, I said to you that in the new year that we were not going to have volunteers anymore at Hope Church. That instead of having volunteers, we were going to have hope dealers. And I'm, I'm super excited to, to let you know that that's a reality. And next week, uh, you'll see those people serving on different teams have their hope dealer shirt. It says, I'm a hope dealer. I'm here to serve. Ask me how I can serve you. Ask me how I can help you. And, and I love that, not because it makes our volunteer teams look like we're professional. I mean, that's an added benefit. But the real reason is because it serves as a reminder that we have something to give. And because it deputizes us to be bold with the deposit of God that he has made in our hearts. You see, starting next week, we don't have volunteers anymore. We have hope dealers. That means you don't have to wait for Pastor Josh to pray for somebody when you see a need. You can do it. You don't have to, you don't have to wait for uh, one of the leaders to come and pray a special prayer. You don't have to wait for somebody else to intervene. You have the authority as a dealer of hope to intervene in the life of a human being, to be the, to be the, the gap closer, the bridge builder between where that person is and, and, and God's very best for them. I believe in this season of time, in this stage of our growth and development as a church, that God is calling us to be hope dealers. To be like the Tommy Bahama sign, purveyors of hope. I want you to go from this place today feeling empowered and reminded that you actually have something that you can give to the hurts of the people around you. You're anointed by God. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you right now. And you don't have to work it up. You don't have to gyrate or hold your head a certain way or say the right combination of words. The God that's living in you is much bigger than you, and he just wants you to let him out. Oh, come on. My prayer for you, I'm, I'm going I'm to pray a prayer over you as we close, and, and my prayer for you is that you would always remember and that you would really understand this morning that God has called you to be a voice in this world and a voice in this generation, a voice of hope in this community, that you actually have hope that you can give to someone else. I want you to be mobilized in that this morning so that, so that later this week when you come across a problem, instead of shrinking back, boldness would rise up inside of you and you would actually step forward and say, you know what, I can help. Amen. Am I talking to you this morning? Why don't you stand up to your feet? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.